0: You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Make Liberty Great Again, the best damn liberty podcast that you've never heard of. I'll be your guide as we peer into the ridiculous reality that is our society and our government. Let's get to it. Welcome to Make Liberty Great Again. I'm your host, Cam Harless, and with me, as always, is Miss Kim Shang. And joining us this week, we have the based boomer, the anarchist grandpa, one of the most fun people to follow on Facebook, Mr. Mark (laughs) Kreslins. How are you doing today?
1: Great. What a great introduction. Thanks very much. Hi Kim. How you doing? doing all right. <laughs> Boy, I'm not I'm I'm a little bit speechless. I don't even follow that. That was amazing. Well, I am a uh, I am an okay boomer and uh <laughs> and, and I appreciate the compliments there that uh, uh and the opportunity to be on here and talk about what I think are we both agree are some or all three of us agree are some very important and relevant topics for today. Uh and, and so I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Well,
0: I'm, I'm, thank you for coming on for sure. Um, what's funny is I've known your name and I've seen you on Facebook for a couple of years now because we, some of you swim in one of my circles and, and, and also with your, um, cover photo on Facebook being of the meat with the Mises Institute in the back. It's just like, yes. you're my people, <laughs> but that's, what's funny is I only know you from Facebook. So, like that's one of the bad things about my time now. I have four children. Oh, that's all. I work I work full time from home. I do this podcast. I edit two others. And I the only person that I any podcast that I listen to regularly at all is Michael Malice's. Just because mm-hmm. he's a joy to listen to. <laughs> but other than mm-hmm. that, I don't mm-hmm. listen to anything. So it's it's gonna be funny when I have people from other podcasts on because I'm gonna be like, Okay, so what do you do on your show? Because I've never listened to it. <laughs> I know. And and this is a
1: very interesting environment for me. I have a background in radio. But it was live call-in radio, both back in Maryland, and then with a friend of mine, Mike Church, on his network, the Crusade Channel, and that both were live. And so, it's a for me, it's a bit of a transition to go from live radio with call-in uh, and into in long format radio. You know, you're covering 20-minute segments, then you got a 10-minute segment, then you got a 20 and a five. And so, you know, if you've got one of those shows where it's not going particularly well, you got to tough it through. <laughs> you got <laughs> you got to be able to hold attention for those twenty minutes. And and so this is a little bit interesting and and, and different. It's it's a similar uh, format to live radio, but it's different. These podcasts, and I've really grown to understand the power of them. And so I I appreciate what you guys are trying to do because I think. My generation, the boomers are not going to listen to these obviously. It's just not <laughs> that demographic. But the Gen Xers and millennials, this is how you guys are getting your information and news now. And and so I applaud what you're trying to do here and and, and I am really glad in that sense to be a boomer that can appreciate this this kind of um uh system and and be able to talk to your audience because you're really the audience i want to talk to on my facebook page and in other places where i speak i get after my generation because my generation created a huge mess but i really want to talk to your generation because you're the up and comers that there was some recent data put out by um the census bureau that said for in april of this year uh for the first time, baby boomers became the second largest demographic. And your generation, millennials Cam, became the largest demographic in the United States right now by about 400,000 people. There are roughly 73.6 million millennials and there are 76, um, 73.1 uh, million boomers. My generation is leaving the planet at about a rate of 4,200 people per day. So when you work the numbers, we are in this massive transition right now. And I mean massive transition. As my generation doesn't hand off the baton to the Gen Xers because they're a pretty small generation, actually, demographically. My generation is handing off the baton of power to your generation. And my generation is mightily struggling with this (laughs) we are not liking handing that baton off to you guys and so i really appreciate being able to connect with two generations behind me and say learn from our mistakes don't do what we did we took our eye off the ball because we had visa mastercard you know we i grew up with the credit expansion world where credit was cheap and you could buy anything you wanted, as long as you had a decent credit score. Some bank was willing on fiat currency issues and fractional banking. They were very willing to lend out money uh, to stimulate the economy. So I grew up in this credit expansion, but none of us saw what that was really going to do both to government and to society. We didn't. My generation didn't stop and
0: say, I wonder if this has
1: consequences.
0: (laughs) Could there be some consequences to this? I think that there are a lot of millennials that are going to be the same way.
2: Yeah. Well,
0: (laughs) let me ask you this question Um, because
1: I think you're inheriting. And the only reason I'm asking that question is, so I was there when we came off the gold standard and we blew, took off, right? We're dropping in your guys' lap an insurmountable debt unless Modern monetary theory is true, which you might be proving it is true. <laughs> well, they're printing money and they seem to be getting away with it. It's the scariest thing for me. Uh, uh, you know, it's been terrifying watching that part of this, but that's a separate conversation. Um, but I will say, we're dumping on your lap a massive problem that, unless truly modern monetary theory is true, you guys won't. Had the credit expansion. We took it all. <laughs>
0: we, you know, we, we, we took it all. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it, well, being a millennial, it's, it's an interesting world to be in because up until uh, maybe a couple of years ago, everything, or maybe a year ago, everything was blamed on millennials. So luckily right. that tide is shifting to, to Gen Z. They're starting to, you know, target them instead, except for the, uh, Alexandria Casio cortezs of the world where they're going, Ugh. oh wait, these people can get into power. Now we're going to have to complain about them and it be based on power rather than off of, you know, economic trends or whatever. Like, we killed... What What all have we killed, Kim? Like, Applebee's? Have we killed Applebee's yet? <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Applebee's? <laughs> my, my whole thing with these generations is, number one, I don't always know where they're defined because I just love when I get into a debate with a a boomer and they're like, "Well, you want free college?" I'm like, "I am 37 years old. I have not been near a college for anything free in over a decade. I have no idea what's going on right now. It's just yeah. I mean, I don't even know yeah. where these these uh timelines start and end anymore."
0: Right. And I yeah. I made the mistake of college and I'm pay- I'm currently paying for it and I will be paying for it mm. forever. Yeah right. Um, so my 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 personal line for millennials: you're not a millennial if nine you don't remember nine eleven and it didn't have a big impact on your life. Anyone mm-hmm. who doesn't remember nine eleven and it didn't have a huge impact on their life, they're something mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. That's my yeah. line.
1: And it, uh, to me, this is this is a fascinating area of research when you think about society, because every demographic cohort has what demographers might call a distinctive or a, a set of values that they believe. So for example, within my generation, the, the boomer generation, we grew up obviously with the idea of the American dream and we, we achieved it right now. We did it through credit expansion and fiat currency and fractional banking and all that. We did it that way, but we believe we were probably that first generation that really had the ability to have air conditioners in our homes, you know, TVs, cable TVs came in. All this kind of stuff happened on our generation. So we grew up with that, but we also grew up with a guilt complex from the Vietnam War. So that drove us into jingoism. Now we're, we're since we were such poor patriots in the 60s, we're now going to be super patriots now. We're, we're gonna, the pendulum's gonna swing right to the other side. And so the boomer generation really began to embrace patriotism. You go to a football game, what do they do? They fly helicopters or F16s over. Everybody looks up and a tear trickles down their eyes. They 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 love the pledge of allegiance, the national anthem, you know, this whole Colin Kaepernick situation right. is really revealing the the natural the we're, we're we're back to blue. My generation is back to blue baby. You. <laughs> You don't have anything to worry about. This is our line. If you're not breaking the law, you got nothing to worry about. That's our line. That's that's the boomer if you have nothing to hide. That's right. You got nothing to fear. That's right. So, here so our generation has that distinctive. Your generation is almost the antithesis of my generation. You guys are rejecting authority, you're rejecting patriotism, you are not back in the blue. In fact, you're questioning The legitimacy of the blue you are suffering from the financial consequences of my generation so your median wage is going to be lower than ours was on the way up the ladder we went so each this is why this is really an important area of of research and, and understanding that i think anybody engaging in cultural discussion needs to appreciate these tensions between these and the sandwich in between there are these Gen Xers, and Kim, you're kind of more Gen X than you really are Millennial. You may be a very old Millennial or a yeah. very young Gen Xer, depending on you know certain cohorts and how they're understood. But your generation, the Gen Xers, are kind of stuck. They're just they're just the transitional generation. There's nothing they can do about it. They can't go back and <laughs> bear more of them, so they're just going to be that crummy transitional <clears throat> demographic with their own distinctions or distinctives, uh, they're going to see, they're going to have some yearnings towards patriotism and those cor- those sorts of ideas. And they might still believe we can live the American dream. You guys are rejecting the um, American dream as questionable. What should we, should we, you're, you're asking questions. My generation doesn't ask, we have this conflict going on right now. And you guys are in the ascendancy, we're in the descendancy. My, I had lunch with a guy today, and I said, We're going to figure out what it feels like to be in the minority. In fact,
0: we're figuring that out right now. We're learning what it means to be, and we're not liking it. Well, the fact that when OK Boomer became a thing, which, by the way, I'm like 100% sure that was Gen Z calling Gen X boomers. But <laughs> beyond that,
1: really? <laughs> yeah, yeah I,
0: I'm pretty, because I think it was. It, it, they were trying to insult them by saying they were older than they were. But beyond that, I gotcha. What you just said is very clearly happening because when people started saying OK Boomer, there were articles out there likening OK Boomer to the N word. Yes. Just like I now saw. they're doing the same thing with Karen.
2: I was just going to say that.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> No, this is right. I mean, you're – this is – and my
1: generation is deeply offended by this. They are deeply offended and bothered that that we would be accused of any uh, contribution to the mess we're in um, because our my generation has a very simplistic formulation to life. It is work, pledge of allegiance, vote, pay your taxes, and life will be good. And as long as you got Visa, MasterCard in your, in your back pocket, you're okay. Life will be okay. And your generation is just – your distinctives are just rejecting all of that. And so we're in this period of kind of cultural chaos right now. But my generation needs to stand up and accept responsibility, and we're not wanting to do that. I don't run into many boomers that are willing to say, yeah, I, I contributed to this mess in a big way. Now some will. I do have some boomer friends, but on my Facebook page, I I get after boomers because I am one number one. I, I can appreciate do it. it. <laughs> well, you're welcome. I but I do it intentionally to to trigger them. You know, if as much as I hate that word, but <laughs> I want to trigger them because I want them to stop and think and be a little bit reflective. Uh, who was it that said? Um, it was Socrates that said the unexam well allegedly said the Socrates the uh, unexamined life is not a life worth living. Yes, he's alleged to have said that. Um, <clears throat> whether he actually did or not, who knows? But it's probably a good saying anyway. I think it's a yeah. great saying. It, yeah, it, probably. But it's a good saying. The unexamined life is a uh, is not a worth life worth living because if you're just coasting, you're not really even certainly from the Christian ethos. God created you with, you know, this wonderful brain and capabilities and skills and passions and arts and designs and all this stuff. And to not reflect on how I'm doing with them, that is kind of a crummy life. Um, so I'm asking the boomers on my Facebook page to please pause and reflect. And to the degree you understand our contribution to your guys' future. In a negative sense, I we then have a moral obligation, and from the Christian perspective, my perspective, we have a Christian obligation to repent and try to repair the damage we did. With however many years we have left, I, I'm rounding third and headed for home. You guys are coming up on first base, and you haven't, you may have turned towards second, but I'm rounding third and coming for home. I don't know how many years I have left this planet, but I'm going to use those to try to correct the error that, quite honestly, guys, I didn't catch until probably 10, 12, maybe 14 years ago. I had suspicions in the 2000s. Something was wildly off, and my mind wasn't processing this right, but I
0: couldn't figure it out. I just couldn't. You know, but I did. <laughs> so, but I did figure it out. And that's what's so funny to me is is y- when boomers complain about millennials. Um, my first thought is always, you realize you raised us,
2: yes, <laughs> right. right?
0: You made us this way. My mom, I she does not listen to my show. I do not tell her the name of the show. I will give her snippets. I gave her my Waco episodes, but beyond that, uh, she doesn't listen to her, my show because she disagrees with me a lot or she thinks she does, or she wants to, mm-hmm. because, you know, I, about 10 years ago was when I started going towards Ron Paul and Liberty and all of that. And I mean, I had knockout drag out fights with my dad about the war in Iraq. Oh boy. But mm-hmm. when my mom pulled me out of uh, private school after seventh grade and started teaching, teaching me things, she, I, she we lit, we read rich dad, poor dad, and several other things. But, She taught me, without knowing it, Austrian economics by name. She didn't realize what she was doing. Okay. And she she also – I forget what book it came from, but she taught me the NAP but in different words. Mm. And so years later, when I've had conversations with her, I'm like, did you know that you were creating the anarchist monster that you did? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did you realize that this is your fault, your fault right? and she was like yeah. no now I know I understand because the other day we were having a conversation and she was like where do you think this is going to go economically because you know Austrian economics and I think that that's the right thing and I'm like "Oh, yeah I think so <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is it. And I think you guys have every right. I I tell millennials you have every right to get in detention with us. Do not respect your elders in this situation. Now, you can be gracious and you can be kind to your elders and just acknowledge their age. But there's nothing sacrosanct about being an, an elderly person that makes you, you know, suddenly an authority on anything. In fact, my generation shouldn't really be guiding anything. Um, we're, we, we disqualified ourselves by our actions during the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. We disqualified ourselves really from having much impact on what we do going forward. Now, if it's if it's coupled with repentance and a kind of acceptance of responsibility, well, I can tell you guys a lot about what I've learned as I as I reflect back on my 60s, I was born in the 50s. When I reflect back on re- reflect back on my 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s and, you know, 210s, um, I can give you a lot of lessons because I'm reflective. And I can say here's what not to do. But that's not the typical boomer mindset. They want to pass off patriotism. They want to pass off voting for Trump, voting GOP. They want to pass off moving whatever mountain you have to to get the car you want or the um, European vacation or whatever it is. You, you, you live the American dream. They want to hand off hegemony to um, your generation and say, well, no, America is the greatest country ever. Don't you know that? And they want to hand off jingoism. They, they, they That's the lessons they think they're supposed to hand off to you. But those are the exact lessons that got them in trouble. And because they won't stop and say, was I right with all that? They won't ask that question because it's, too, it's in, in some cases, for some people, it's just too hard of a question. It's like, I don't want to have to admit maybe I was wrong for 40 years. <laughs> and, and, and within the Christian community, that's very sad to me. That's very sad. We think about the cross of Jesus Christ. He goes to that cross for the very reason that I am going to make error. I'm going to sin. I am I'm. It's. I suffer from the endemic sin. I'm going to sin. And I think we cheapen the cross when we won't stop and say, yeah, you know, I was wrong with getting angry at my wife last week or my husband last week. Yeah, I was wrong there. I sinned. I, I did there. Or I was wrong, you know, by some cultural thing I shouldn't have watched or, you know, I was wrong doing that. We totally are arrogant when we won't examine, was I right politically? Yeah. Does, does what I, were my actions consistent with the word of God? And I got to tell you guys, um, Cam and Kim, I don't run across many boomers willing to even entertain that discussion. So when you guys want to get into conflict with us, i cheer you guys
0: on it's like bring it to us we we deserve it and and that was what was funny was like i said i had like a literal yelling match with my dad about the war in iraq and how he said it was the right thing to do and i said no it's not the right thing to do like really yelling like really yelling yelling? i mean like this was in my early days of libertarianism and i was like no you're wrong there's going to be a power vacuum something something worse is going to come out of it. Just watch and wait. You'll see. And, you know, we had that argument, didn't think about it. Years later, probably two, a year and a half, two years ago, my mom was like, were you talking about ISIS? And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, no, I didn't know the name of that then. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. (laughs) right. But yes, that's what I was talking about. And then this, you know, and then she forgets that, you know, I'm not completely stupid. And then... Like January when World War Three almost happened with Iran, she was like, you know, I really think that Iran needs to be stopped. And she was like, but you were right about ISIS. And so I'm not sure we should do what I would normally say we should do. And I was like, wow. hey, <laughs> wow, that's a move wow. in the right direction, right?
1: <laughs> that is. That's huge, actually. You know, I'll tell you a little inside uh, Washington, D.C. story that kind of goes along with what you're saying, Cam. I used to work on Capitol Hill for a couple of different um, GOP conservative members of Congress, one from upstate New York, and then a congressman from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This is during the Reagan administration, when really you saw the emergence of the religious right, you saw the emergence of- A moral um, majority. Moral majority, yeah, right. It's saw all that happening. We all were excited. We thought this was real change up there. And But in the House, where I work, in the House of Representatives, you know, we always knew Ronald Reagan to be very good on rhetoric. But when it came to action, um, he was horrendous on domestic policy. So he would run on all these promises to cut this department, this department, this department, blah, blah, blah. They were cut anything. And he would run very forcefully on foreign policy, which is a lot of where Gulf War One comes and Gulf War Two mm-hmm. really comes out of the Reagan, you know, kind of hegemic uh, approach to global affairs and he, because he actually executed. I mean, he executed when it came to foreign affairs and we liked it when he did. So when the Berlin wall comes down November 9th, uh, 1989, my generation, then the boomers are excited and I, and I, I truly celebrated their freedom. I remember yeah. the night when the, the breaking news came in that the, something was happening at the Berlin wall. And Tom, uh, Peter Jennings came on and they suddenly had cameras there and there are people sledgehammering that wall. I'm watching it live and I was cheering and, but that began with Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. You know, all that stuff began with this very aggressive foreign policy by Reagan. So I look at your mom and we were all steeped in that, that that's where our hegemony comes from Reagan. It worked once. It'll work again. Yes, yes, and now that's it. Now we just say, well, that's how we always do it and and not recognizing that you know each time has its unique situation, and often we start a lot of these things, and um, and, and, and and but most baby boomers can't make the distinguish can't distinguish between wars. It's're guilty about calling them calling Vietnam veterans baby killers. So let's let the pendulum swing to the other side. Now we're going to back everything the military does. It doesn't matter if we're, you know, what, who we're bombing, we're backing. And, and it's unfortunate, but it's good to hear your mom making, you know, some changes. Baby steps. Baby steps. Yeah.
0: Now, how old is your mom? <laughs> uh, she was born in 58. Okay. So She's my age then. Okay. 61.
2: Yeah. My mom is around that age too.
0: But yeah, that's, it, it's, there's always hope in that. And I keep, giving her little bits and pieces, and then she always f- falls back into being skeptical of what I'm saying. And then there has to be some big show for her to know, okay, maybe he was right in that moment. But the fact that she's gone from he's an idiot kid to, <laughs> wait, wait, he was right about something kind of huge. What's, <laughs> what's what's coming next? It's great. But yeah, that was that was one of the things that's interesting to me is, um, I, me and Kim, we're we're both Christians, mm-hmm. and so I know for me I can't speak for Kim, um, because I'm pretty sure that'd be called racism. No, that'd
2: be called liberals. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the at the root of my political ideals is Christ and Christ crucified. It's Jesus, um, and so even. I definitely want to talk about that, even though that there is. I know at least one listener out there who's going, oh God, they're going to talk about Jesus again. But yes. <laughs> but that that's the heart of my political ideology, is okay. I have a king. And so uh, what's interesting, we talked a little bit about this before the show, is I'm a word guy. Mm-hmm. So I only like to use words if they either benefit me or they're particularly um, precise. And so I use different words for different audiences. So Mm -hmm. if I don't know you, I'll tell you that I'm a libertarian. If I know that, you know what I'm saying, if I've known you a little longer, I'll say I'm an anarchist. If you're a Christian, I'm going to push it to the most precise definition or precise label, which is, I call myself a patient monarchist Mm -hmm. because I'm in the already, but not yet. Mm -hmm. I'm, waiting for the King mm-hmm. to come. Yeah. Yes.
1: No, I think that's a great way to explain this. And it's something that I'm trying to engage on my Facebook page and other forums that I have the opportunity is, you know, it's, it's kind of what we talked a little bit about before the show in Matthew 22, 37, Jesus tells us one of the ways Christians were to love God is with our mind. Now that sounds very you know, kind of generic, and and to a degree it is. He then goes on to define it, loving your neighbor as yourself. But clearly, in the context of his creative genius, he gives every being he creates this gray matter. And then he tells his followers, one of the ways you love God is by using thing. And unfortunately, what I have observed myself being a Christian now for going on 44 years is a real almost lack of interest in the mind, in cultivating the mind, developing rigors of training our minds. And that has proven to be a dismal, it's created a dismal environment for the church in America today. And that's why I differentiate between what I call American Christians and biblical Christians, because there really is a a distinction between the two both might be regenerated. And I, and I emphasize the word might uh, because you, I can't know that for certain anyways. I'm just a fallen man myself. But I can say when it comes to that passage of Scripture, Jesus' words, those are his words. It's not the Apostle Paul. This is not James or Peter. This is not Luke. This is him saying, "I my expectation is that you will love me with your mind. And because Christians typically, American Christians, reduce thinking down to platitudes, patronizing kind of comments and thoughts about people. They have a hard time on shows like yours, coming on there and keeping up with the debate. They can't. They struggle with keeping up, and so they inevitably will go to some kind of a... Um, logical fallacy. They'll start using logical fallacies. They'll start uh, using Christianese to defend their position. They'll start presuming you have to, you know, it's presuppositional as belief. They'll start presuming you have to embrace my presumptions. You know, so yeah. it, it gets all mangled. And then, then non-believers listen to your show when they have to encounter that and say, "Well, why would I? Why? That's not." that's not stimulating. That's just <laughs> argumentative. It's kind of goofy. I
2: think that comes a lot from the fact that, you know, and of course I believe and I'm pretty sure you two do that. Bible is the ultimate truth. Therefore, why would they have to think? Yeah. Why would they ever have to use their brains? Everything is in the in that book and all they have to do is memorize it and they're good. They don't have to think.
0: But what they don't realize is that everything that they think is so deeply steeped in tradition, but they don't know it. Right. They don't know that there are things that they believe that they only believe because someone said it at one point, not because it's biblical. And so the last couple of years for me have been re-examining all of the different pieces that Good. I missed or I was taught Good. incorrectly. One of the big ones for me was actually another argument with my dad um, mm-hmm. where he, he was... I forget exactly what the conversation was about, but he had more or less used the concept of all sins are equal Mm -hmm. as a bludgeon against someone who was sinning. So Mm -hmm. that what you're doing is just as bad as murder. Mm -hmm. And then I, we had a big argument because I go, but wait, Jesus said that he who brought me to you is guilty of the greater sin. Mm -hmm. So clearly there are greater sins and there are lesser sins. Mm -hmm yes because Jesus didn't mince words. And so that really started me. That realization started me on a path. And right now where I am, I've rethought hell in some to some extent and haven't f- fully finished that examination. But right now I'm coming to terms with the fact that I am steeped in tradition and a lot of times tradition can be wrong or mm-hmm. we're, we're misreading mm-hmm. tradition and why sure. people said the things that they did. And Right now, I'm spending a lot of time trying to understand the ancient Near East mindset. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Understand the Second Temple, where these pe- the people who were around Jesus, how they thought about the Bible. Good for
1: you, man. Good for you. Yes, we have to. I mean, we are not—so in Second 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul's writing to the Timothy who's in Ephesus. And he's giving him his final instructions of what it means to lead this church. And one of the calls, he says, is to make sure you're handling the word of God right. Now, that was to them. Obviously, the Bible, the New Testament's not assembled at this point. Right. This is 64 yeah. AD. So he's talking about the revelation of God through the Old Testament. Make sure we handle it right. And this gets transitioned from that point forward to us. We have to handle God's word rightly. We can't misuse it for our own ambitions. And yet, what do we see in the Word of Faith movement? A total bastardization of His of His word. What do we see in political Christian political activism? A bringing forth idolatry. Idolatry. We bring forth 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will uh, uh, humble themselves, turn from their sin, I will hear them and heal their land. That's a historical particularity to Israel, not America,
0: yeah. not America. For I know the plans I have for you to, claim yes, the Lord exactly. to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans give you hope in the future. That yeah. was to the exiles. So
1: they're in, they're in <laughs> captivity, right? <laughs> and, and I think, I think, Oh my word, but I cannot tell you tomorrow, this Sunday, how many pastors in the United States are going to share second Chronicles seven fourteen and obliterate what it means. And then they're, the people in the pews are going to get all teary eyed and they're going to pray, Oh God, we repent. May non Christians repent for their sins so you'll heal our land. So you'll heal our land. And I think you're going to, so right now, not even close, Christians are the, based on George Barnum's data points, evangelical born again Christians are an absolutely minuscule minority in the country. And I'm talking minuscule. Maybe upwards of 16 million, that's it. Because we don't do a good job of sharing the gospel. I mean, it's, we just, we don't, you know, it's, and, and, and to my reformed brothers, brothers and sisters, that's why it's easy to be reformed because you just don't ask. it. So now I don't want to get any hate mail or anything. I, I often tell my reformed brothers and sisters here, I'm not reformed. I'm out trying to persuade people to faith in Christ. They're out trying to find the elect. And
0: I, and I, yeah. I, I get it. I, so, but nevertheless. Yeah. Oh, you are in safe company, oh, right? Oh, yes. Now. Oh, good. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Very safe. Okay, good. Good. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know. So I, I always try to walk
1: gently with this.
0: Well, what's funny is my beard tells people, that I'm a Calvinist. Yes, that's what I thought. But I'm not. <laughs> that's
1: exactly what I thought.
0: Ryan, the, one of the guys who does the other show, is a, he's actually a um, Mennonite pastor. Oh, cool. And he he said when I first met him online that I had sent him something making fun of Calvinism. And he thought, because of my beard that I was actually showing him something that I thought was good that a Calvinist said. And I was like, (laughs) oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Oh, that is fantastic. That is fantastic. I
2: had never come to that conclusion about beards at all.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You didn't, you huh? Because that's kind of the new cool thing out there in millennial... Uh, reform circles as they're all growing these you know
0: yeah but you have to also notice the long hair i did that tells you that that i was raised by uh hippies that came out of the jesus (laughs) model i just thought you really like
2: grunge music i don't
0: i don't don't hate it but right now i'm on an outlaw country kick so oh very
1: cool i get you on that I, i can dig that so i look at this and i say you know, so what are remedies to this? It's easy. The easiest thing to do is to identify the problem. Now, now you have to, at some point, turn to say, "Well, okay, I'm I'm just going to be exasperated if I, you know, just identify the problem. How do we fix this thing? And is it even fixable? You know, these are these are the kind of questions I think that your generation really has to grapple with, and my generation needs to support your generation rather than trying to tell you. What you're supposed to do, stand up and say the pledge, rather than trying to compel you to do what we did because it worked out so well for us. Oh, heck, we only murdered 63 million babies. Yeah, we're really successful. Uh, Rather than our arrogance coming and saying, you guys do what we did, we need to come and say, we didn't do the right thing. How can we help you guys? What can we do now to help you guys fix the mess we created? Now, granted, that sounds very opportunistic to me. I get to live the life, and now here I am, you know, rounding third, headed for home, and I get to say, "Oh, let me help you guys,"
0: you know. It, it, and there's a degree of opportunism there. I think really we just want you to talk to our mothers and fathers.
2: Amen. That's, yeah, that's
0: what that's what I need. Yes. I need someone who who lived through it and was very for reagan to be like hey i was wrong this is why we were wrong like that's such a needed thing It is because you know my mom is she she comes away from it slowly but it's it's like pulling teeth mm-hmm. yeah it's it's hard for someone who you it's it's hard to hear someone you raised tell you what's actually true or moral or like, Because all of my political opinions stem from morality. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stem from pragmatism. It doesn't stem from what works or the ends justify the means or any of that. It stems from, is this moral? And so it's hard. That's a hard argument to make from someone who bore the moral majority, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. thinks, oh, well, you know, we were the people who brought in morality back into the white house mm-hmm. when you can't there's no bringing morality into the white no, house no
2: so like it's inherently immoral
0: <laughs> yes yes it is
1: yes that's exactly right and, and this is why i threw in finally you know i i had i had my own kind of progression i had to work through with this because i come from the the long, I mean, the Cannon House Office Building. I'm in the, I'm in the, the bowel of the beast, if you will. I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm running with all the big names you could possibly imagine. I had my wall full of pictures of Trent Lott and Ronald Reagan and Newt. George Bush, Newt. I had everybody up there, and I'm conversing with these people. I'm, I'm engaging with them. And I'm in the, it's gravitational. My, my, meg, my own megalomania. Totally kicked in. It's like, wow, I'm here. I have arrived. I'm a Christian in Washington, D.C., in the Cannon House uh, Law, Cannon House Office Building, authoring legislation, essentially casting votes on the House floor because I'm telling my member of Congress how he should vote based on the district. I'm doing all these things. And I come from there to where now I'm an anarchist. And I source yeah. my anarchy in – a Christian ethos. So I'm making the argument that this is the natural position for Christians. Well, I have to fight through, with my generation, I have to fight through jingoism and hegemony, political dominance, or a sense of political superiority, and a misunderstanding of God's word. So it's like, with my generation, it's super hard because there hasn't been a lot of critical thinking people are just taking what their patriot pastor says from the pulpit as the word of God, because it goes back to, honestly, uh, Cam, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Ecclesiology matters much more than we think it matters because there's a kind of a quid pro quo that happens in the average church. And I've seen it because I've pastored a church and, and I understood what it was doing to the congregation and the quid pro quo is very simply i come in on a sunday morning and i sit in a row typically the same row every week i greet the same group of people that i'm with that i see i sit there and i look up at a stage and up on that stage is a centerpiece item it's called the pulpit and there's a man that comes out, nowadays, when I was growing up, they came out in suits. Nowadays, it's all the cool grunge look and they gotta come out with their long beards and they gotta wear their pullovers. And I'm gonna listen to him talk for 45 minutes. and and But there's been subtle messages throughout my life that say there is something supernatural that happens <clears throat> on that stage. And God's word is communicated to you and your job is to listen and to receive His word. Now, there's all this kind of mystical side to our Sunday mornings that we don't really want to deal with, because when you go back to the first century church, guess what? There aren't any, there aren't any PowerPoint projectors. There's no pulpit. There's no stages. They're meeting like I meet with our church in a home, and we share food together, and we sometimes have nothing better to do than to talk about what we're thinking about that day. And, and it's extremely informal and a kind of a uh, community, a real strong sense of community in our church. And, and what prohibits, why did that, why, why was that nurtured and developed? Because we don't have an ecclesiology that represents a corporation. We don't have that ecclesiology. Even though within Scripture you certainly see the office of the elder, you see you see the gift of senior pastor, I mean, of a pastor teacher in Ephesians four, uh, but you don't see what we do typically on Sunday morning, um, and 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 so this whole ecclesiology drives this quid pro quo that essentially says, I'll come in, I'll I'll pay my offering, I will sit there and I will take in what you tell me to hear. Now, there's a good chance I will not remember it three hours later. I might be inspired at that moment because it sounds cool and it sounds like something I should be doing. Now, sometimes there's probably occasions in a given year that you do hear something from the guy on the stage and you reflect for a moment. You say, well, I probably should be doing that. But that's usually the extent of our critical analysis of what's being said. And so our our whole ecclesiology produces experiential Christianity, which is the antithesis of Matthew twenty two thirty seven, where we're told to love God with our minds. So the average congregant doesn't have a clue about exegesis. Does not have a clue. Yeah. What you just said a moment ago, Cam, about you're trying to understand that time frame. Um, that that. Uh, a culture so that you can better understand God's word, the average Christian wouldn't have a clue how to do that. They wouldn't even think to do that. Think about this. When did, when did little numbers show up next to our sentences in the Bible? Obviously they weren't written that way. From yeah. 1550, a monk, a monk put them there to try to organize scripture. It's not inherently a wrong thing. But what does it cause the average Christian to do when they're reading the Bible? They take... Those little numbered sentences. They lose the narrative. The
2: context is gone.
1: They lose it. They lose the context. That's right. They read them as propositional statements. Statement A out of context is equal to statement F four pages later. They're propositional standalone statements. When, of course, I tell my church all the time, I say, listen, imagine you're in the kitchen in Philippi and you get a letter from Paul. How are you going to read that?
0: Are you going to take it and write little? I'm just going to pick a random sentence, exactly, exactly right in the middle of exactly, it, exactly, <laughs> exactly, and, and then have a. I'm just going to go um, <laughs> point a finger We're and find out where I read it,
1: and then I'm going to build a 45 minute sermon with a PowerPoint and you know some <laughs> other guy saying something about this verse uh, from the 1500s, you know, and 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 then we wonder why. Christians are duped by the David Bartons into believing America's a Christian nation, or that God supernaturally, divinely ordained America, or the Constitution wink, wink is probably divine because they were all Christians, weren't they? No, they weren't. Um, so this, but, but but this is why my generation is so hard to reach because they've been fed this, and they actually think it's true. You know, they won't examine. I wonder if the East River ever fogs over at all, except for that one night when uh, the uh, George Washington's army was stuck up on Brooklyn Heights and they were getting ready to get rolled by the British, and suddenly an these fog runs rolls in on the river and they're able to to escape at night. Well, to the Christian narrative believer, that's God. Except that fogs roll in on the East River on occasion. Do I know it was Providence? Maybe it was Providence. Am I going to stand up on stage and say there's evidence that God created this country right there? There's evidence because the East River rolled in or the fog rolled in on the East River. So it's this kind of stuff that's my generation, Cam and Kim, you guys think about your parents. It's That's what we were taught. That's the stuff we got taught from the pulpit.
0: Well, and it's coming from the generation That I'm part of from my my parents, where I grew up in church. Whoever married church and state the way the right does, because there's a different church and state on the left, which I'd love to talk about. Well, it's it's the social gospel gospel. comes from Woodrow Wilson. No,
2: that yeah. Um,
0: but like the the marriage of it is so disgusting to me. Because yeah. let me tell you, the first time, it, it, way before Ron Paul, way before libertarianism or anarchy or any of that, I was riding in the car, probably 13, 14 years old, with my mom, and we were listening to um, WDJC, the Christian station in Birmingham, Alabama, and they had their little ad break, and they go, WDJC, your god and country station, and I had this moment... As a 13 or 14-year-old boy going, why would they put those two things on the same no line? No kidding. Wow. There is no way those things are equal. And so like that kind of started an evolution. Some people may say devolution. But I, like we talked about earlier, uh, tomorrow is July 4th. Will I be going, if it was open, mind you, would I be going to church in a regular big church on July 5th? No because i can't tell you how offensive it was to me it's 18 or 19 when i'm sitting in church on some national holiday who knows memorial day or labor day or whatever where the the music pastor gets up and starts singing the battle hymn of the republic
2: mm-hmm. I know. like
0: i know to me that is just pure heresy it is it because is. i mean that's a i mean that song is so Eschatological. Like it's it's a new eschatology with the state as the union as God's boot. Yes. And it's like I hear all of this stuff and I can't I can't do it.
1: I can't either. When
0: I when I see a a flag, an American flag in church, I want to bounce. If I see an American flag on the outside above a Christian flag, which I think is kind of a silly thing anyway, but if you're gonna have a Christian flag that shows Jesus And you have the American flag above it. What are you doing?
2: If you have the flag in there at all, it's just—I mean, right,
0: right. right. I mean, that's bad enough. But I mean, if you're going to do it outside and have a Christian flag too, that bad boy better be at the very top. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No. Hey guys, yeah, this warms my heart. You know, this
1: is why I said earlier I like talking to you guys. I really do because my conversations with you your generation are so much easier than mine. Now, I de- that doesn't mean I'm giving up on my generation. I'm going to continue to hammer away. I'll, I'll do some kind of boomer post tomorrow and get people angry <laughs> at me. <laughs> they, they, they get very angry at me. I got, Based I, boomer <laughs> post. That's right. Exactly. I'm going to do that. Um, <laughs> and, and so I look at that and I think I'm, I'm not going to give up on these guys I, because I do actually have some boomer friends that have Follow my role and uh, my uh, route, and they've rejected this. They they are actually taking steps to fix it. And unfortunately, it's a small number. It's not a huge number. Um, but I'm going to continue to agitate with my generation. But I really like talking to your generation because number one, you guys now have power. You don't maybe you don't know that yet, but you do have power. You've got political power. And my hope is that. Your generation will tear down all of the immoral, God-hating edifices that are in this country, and we'll we'll tear them down. And starting with the Washington Monument, starting with the Lincoln Memorial, the White House, the Capitol, (laughs) the Supreme (laughs) Court, take it all down. It is a horrible, (laughs) horrible, horrible structure of government. It could not... I don't think I could have designed a worse more easy to co-opt and corrupt form of government than what we have.
0: Not not to mention just the like how do you look at the Lincoln Memorial and not see an idol? I know. How do you hear stories about uh, cutting down the cherry tree or not being able to lie or this that or the other and not go this is a mythology. <laughs> This is a created thing to make people think a certain way, and it disgusts me. Earlier, you were saying that your generation, you have to deal with um, more or less the moral majority uh, American dream, whereas my generation, it's a mixture of things, because they like to make millennials out to be kind of just one simple thing, like we are all the same, and... But yeah. you've got the progressive progressivism, which is a fundamentalist religion that stems from, you know, the social gospel and yeah. Woodrow Wilson. Sure. You've got nihilism coming out of our butts, Yes. And then you have us little small people who are anarchists, which makes you think we're probably nihilists. But in fact, we're the most hopeful and we're the most optimistic group because we're going realistically, we're never going to see statelessness yeah. in our yeah. lifetimes. Yeah realistically, I'm never gonna see the morality of the individual in voluntarism. I'm not gonna see it. I, I, Why do you say I have, that? I recognize well, that. Why do you say that? Because the well, because the cathedral does its job very well. Yeah. The cathedral being the government, the uh, academia, the universities, and the corporate media. Mm-hmm. My generation, with how big we are, you know, since the boomers, we've had more indoctrination per capita than any generation I think before us. Mm-hmm. And that that indoctrination has come from the left. It's come from the Marxist universities. I I'm not saying I'm saying if we were to get that at all, it would it's possible. I'm just saying the outlook as it stands right now isn't going to happen. However, I can't lose hope. Right. And my job as an individualist as a Christian is to make myself free. And if I can lead by example and some other people will follow me, by all means. But I have to start with making myself free. Here's
1: what's gotten me a little bit more hopeful than perhaps you are at this point. And, and it goes back to a conversation we had earlier about the intellectual dark web. You know, these guys are wrestling fundamentally with ideas of organization and with blockchain blockchain technology out there, with you know a, a real advance of the internet, the decentralization of everything, ideas that are emerging yeah. right now i'm not convinced i i honestly think washington d is incredibly weak right now they they are more weak than i've ever seen them and and capable of collapse at this stage of the game so i i look at this and i say all right here's the thing you have going in you for in your generation that you guys have not fully tapped into yet because you don't see yourselves as the power brokers you are. Yet. You still look north to us and say, well, that's our wise old elders up there. We're supposed to respect
0: them. And also Kim and I and my group, there, there are plenty of us out there, but we're still an extreme minority, especially when it comes to rejecting the state completely. I mean... The Libertarian Party tries to use the political system and change it from the yeah, inside. Yeah, it's, it's a horrible way. Why would you do that? Yeah. Like I, I, There are a lot of people I respect who are trying to change the Libertarian Party from the inside. And I'm like, quit wasting your time. Yes. What you're doing by talking, what you're doing by making content, by making art or whatever is far more advantageous than the freaking Libertarian Party. I'm not going to vote for Joe Jorgensen. No, no chance. No chance. I'm, not, I'm no sure chance. she's
2: a robot. She's, she's got to be a robot. Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I,
0: I did ask John McAfee when I had him on my show because the way I see it, and this is a conversation I had a couple of years ago, is that government and the state as it stands right now is a form of technology that is used to control people and also to, quote unquote, give them security mm-hmm. and, quote unquote, freedom. But it's an old technology. Mm -hmm. It can't keep up with our current technological advances. Decentralized internet is going to be something someday. Yes. We're not there yet. But that's going to... The corporate press, the universities, the government cannot keep up with technology. And technology is going to be what frees us. Yes. That's always been my stance. Yeah, I
1: totally agree. Totally agree.
0: But I do... I'm not a pessimist. But it does seem like if things go the way they are insofar as the current zeitgeist the blm who like we talked about before the show are brilliant in their marketing bringing in all this marxism and big government and yet people are saying they hate the government at the same time makes no sense but if there's not a change in culture if there's not a change in how we interact and if we don't take over culture in some way Mm -hmm. if we don't create something good I don't see it because even if the technology is there, if if me and Kim, if you, if my, if Tom Woods, Jeff Dice, if we're not jumping on board and making good stuff, the technology is not gonna matter. Someone's gonna use it to their advantage.
1: So, you know, a lot of this comes down to Saul Lewinsky's uh, rules for radicals. So rule 13 is you have to pick a target, you have to freeze it, you have to personalize it, and then you can you can agitate with it. Let's just use that word because I can't think yeah. of the word. So, but you have to go through that that process. you got to pick the target first, then you've got to freeze it in people's minds, then you've got to personalize it to them so that then you can agitate hmm. against it. This is where we are always lacking strategically.
0: And I, I, in my book, Exit, I write about this. I see an exception, though. And you, ju- you just led me to the exception by saying that, the corporate press. More people are being red-pilled right now on the corporate press and how they act, their malfeasance, their depravity, mm-hmm. than ever before. But
2: do you think that's going to hold?
0: Yeah, I don't think it's going to hold. I think that it depends on what, because I don't think Trump's way of talking about it holds. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. However, with social media, with Covington Catholic, with, mm-hmm. um, what's that guy's name, the Supreme Court Justice. I always forget his name. Uh, which one? Um, Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh oh, Brett, Brett Kavanaugh. The left's attack on him and how like all of this stuff has red-pilled a lot of people. So it's when people stop seeing it as fake news is the enemy of the people, but rather the whole corporate news paradigm is factual but not truthful, is an agent of indoctrination. I think that it can continue. But right now they're dying.
1: Which is good. So here's the key. And this is what I write about in the book. We've got to be equally, we've got to be smarter than the neo-Marxists. And we actually can be, and we can be much more effective. But it begins with almost a, a, a very simplistic equation that I use a lot to describe to people what needs to happen next. We, so far, on an average election cycle in an average cultural cycle, the average person is offered vanilla Republican vanilla democrat and vanilla with sprinkles on top libertarian but they're gonna get vanilla ice cream they're gonna get vanilla ice cream they don't know what chocolate is because nobody has been able to pull together the resources the financial resources to say there's chocolate the minute we pull together a hundred million dollars and somebody decides they're gonna bring about cultural revolution, when you've had 232 years of only vanilla, the minute chocolate shows up, people are gonna say, I want that. Now it has to be well explained and well articulated and well designed, but anarchy is the easiest message Two, we're we're anarchists already. This is what gets people down here in Oklahoma so upset when I say these things. You're already an anarchist. No, I'm not. I'm a conservative Republican. I'm voting for Trump. No, your day is already filled with voluntary interactions, and none of them happen. None of them happen because of government. In fact, the only person that's going to screw with your day on an average day is government. They're the only ones. Now, that's chocolate. Chocolate is Government is evil. It is evil. And you know what? Nobody argues with me on that. I don't – when I use the IRS, I I often – in some of my presentations, I'll say – at one point in my presentation, I'll say, how many of you go to the U.S. mailbox, pull out a letter – and on the blazing across the very top are the initials IRS. How many of you get that letter and get down on your knees and say, thank you, God, I heard from my government today? Nope.
0: Nobody does. When Trump did – when the Trump bucks came and they sent a letter yeah. from the IRS explaining yeah. them, I didn't know that was coming. Ooh. And I about Scared you. died yes. when I saw IRS. Yes. Same. But the, I think you're right. I think that right now is the perfect soil – to start giving out some chocolate ice cream. It is. Because, it's what you're doing. because look at defund the police. Look at all of these ideas that are ours. That have been bastardized by uh-huh, these people. But piggyback. But this is the perfect soil for. And I'm calling out any libertarians. Anarchists out there. That would like to offer a service. And make some money. Go into your neighborhood and say. Hey I'm, I'll offer private security. For this entire neighborhood. I will be your cops. We don't need them. Right. Do it. Do it now. Give them the option that is planting the seed of anarchy. When you have someone who can say, hey, it could you could wait 15 to 20 minutes for the cops to show up when there's a burglar at your house. Or you could call me and I live two houses down. That was the conversation I had with my mom last that made her go, "Okay, wait, maybe defund the police isn't as bad of an idea as I thought. (laughs) I love your mom. I want to meet her. Because I told her, well, she's well, she's still fighting it, but it was it was okay. one of those things where she, you could see it in her eye when I said, "Would you rather have a security guard that you see every day in your neighborhood that can be there within thirty seconds to two minutes if something happens at your house, or would you rather wait fifteen or twenty minutes for cops who will be too late to help you?" And she had that little glimmer in her eye. <laughs> Let me even give you a, a a very
1: real example of how that played out in my neighborhood three weeks ago. We're sitting here playing Quiplash or whatever my kids, the latest video game we're playing with them as a family. Yeah. And, and my adult son in laws here. My adult uh, daughter, she's 32. My two other adult daughters are here. And she gets a phone call at 11 o'clock, 1130 at night from Amber, who lives just literally around the corner from us, saying somebody just rang the doorbell and I'm scared. Well, my daughters who are well-trained, myself and my son-in-law, we all got... A, I got my SIG-40. We all got there in under 30 seconds, right? And so in 30 seconds, we are there to defend this friend of ours. Now, there happened to not be anybody there, but between my daughters and my son-in-law and myself, if any aggressor had come, he would not have fared well that night. He would not have fared well. And I thought, that's anarchy. It's it's one step even farther away from the private cops. It is I'm your neighbor, I love you, yeah. you knew to call Mark and Jennifer and Caitlin and Natalie and John. Somehow we had developed such a friendship with her, she knew they can help me and they're gonna come, yeah. and we did.
0: Yeah, and that's, I, I made that point to, uh, the other day on a, on a post where someone was asking, well, what could be the thing? And I said, arm all of the citizens in a neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. But an- another example, one day I was riding my motorcycle down the interstate in Birmingham, and the throttle cable snapped. And so I luckily was able to stop in the middle of a fork in, on the interstate, and my phone was dead. And I sat there, and I was just stuck on my, on my own, and I was going, I was praying, and I didn't pray, God, send a cop <laughs> that can help me. I didn't pray, God, send, send a wrecker. I said, God, let someone who's in a motorcycle club see me on the side of the road. Whether or not that motorcycle club was full of good people... They saw a brother when they saw a brother. Mm-hmm. And so I kid you not, five minutes later, a, a member of the Pistolera's Motorcycle Club <laughs> pulled up in his truck. He and I picked my bike up, put it in his truck. He drove me home and unloaded my, that's my bike. That's beautiful, my man. That's beautiful. That is anarchy. Yes,
1: it is. That's beautiful. I love – I'm telling you, if if it, here's what's going to happen. Eventually, the billionaires are out there. They're going to figure out my Gulfstream 20 – can't get me anywhere because there's no other safe place to go, or things are increasingly degrading in Singapore, or these other places they think they're going. They ain't going to Hong Kong anymore. Uh, so these billionaires are going to begin to say, well, I can't go there. I better start looking back home again, because most of the billionaires I know now, you know why they don't put their money where their mouth is? They, they talk about freedom all the time because they know they can get on their Gulfstream 20s and be in Singapore. and. In, in 12 hours.
0: Not to mention that they can buy the
1: policy. Yeah, exactly. So they, they don't think about this. So yet they'll articulate, they'll mouth, oh, yeah, we totally believe in freedom and all this. So here, here's what's going to happen. You guys, your generation needs to start offering chocolate with big, bold ideas. They cannot be dinky ideas, they have to be wholesale because you're competing against a big, Entrenched idea right now. It's called Washington D.C. It's called voting every two years. Most important election of our lifetime. You're competing against a huge, bold idea that got entrenched in our think in our in our psyche. You're not going to nibble that out. See, I I make this argument all the time. Incrementalism works on the way down. It never works to restore freedom. Revolutionary ideas restore freedom. So, what was the CCP terrified? of the Hong Kongers. They were terrified that they were going to actually get Hong Kong free because they were using big, their, their five point plan. They were all independence driven things. We are going to be an autonomous, sovereign country ourselves. Well, the CCP can't have that obviously. So what do they do? They pass a law, and now everybody's in trouble. So, but what was the CCP afraid of? The big, bold idea. If we try to, as just talking to a friend of mine today about this, we 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 think incrementalism is like the clever way to do things. Oh well, it's what you said earlier, Cam, about oh we're going to reform the party from within the party. You know, I've heard that in Republican circles my entire life, Oof. and it's not how it works. It's just. But it's hard to get stubborn people to admit that.
0: Well, I mean, look at uh, the abortion argument. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes. Regardless of whether or not someone should think it should be banned or illegal or whatever solution, regardless going, okay, well, maybe up till 20 weeks doesn't actually do no. anything except for make give people a new deadline where they go, okay, so 20 weeks is good. Mm-hmm. Let's let's either push it up or leave it there. That's where the, that's where the mean is. That's where we'll mm-hmm. stay. Or when people talk about Oh, let's get it, let's do the UBI. Let's do a fair yeah, tax. Right. You don't think that right. these things, once they get started, will not stay forever and then get worse. That's right.
1: That's why we are in the driver's seat if we have the same courage of our convictions that the neo-Marxists do, who have been misusing our system of government for at least sixty years, perhaps seventy years. So they were incrementally moving, but evil and degradation can move incrementally. It has a longer range goal. Freedom as an idea can only be restored through bold ideas. And the trouble is our side is afraid of bold ideas. We think we're going to be zany. Even on the anarchy side, we're a little bit embarrassed to tell people I'm an to no, I, I, not me. I'm busting chops out there. Or they make them
0: a joke. Yeah, that's Chaz. Oh, well, there's going to be Civil War yeah. too. Electric Boogaloo. But the, the left is the first people to do an autonomous Right. right. So the left is the first people to, to rise right. up in some way. Yet these people that I know are like all about the Boogaloo if it comes, but they're waiting for someone else to start yeah. it. I, I tell people all the time. I don't want a Boogaloo, no. mind you. I want peaceful resolution. I want a peaceful divorce But beyond that, if you're going to say you want a war or a revolution, don't wait for someone else to start it.
1: Yeah, exactly right. What kind of weakness is that? Oh, brother, I'm totally with you. I shame those people that are on my Facebook page that talk about, well, this is inevitably we're going to end up in a civil war. and They're not taking my gun. Then I ask them this. I say, who are you going to shoot? All right, Mr. Tactical Military Guy, you now have come to the conclusion that we're in a civil war. Get out on your street, and who are you going to take your little AR-15 and start popping off rounds at? Is it the liberal that lives four doors down? Are you going to go to their door and knock on it and shoot them? Because when you talk about civil war, you're talking about shooting people. People. Now, who are you going to shoot? And they, they have no answer because it's a fantasy, romantic idea in
0: their mind. So it's all 1776 again. Yes, yes. They think they're fighting that. And I'm going to be Mel Gibson. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and
1: to me, it's embarrassing for those people that are keyboard war keyboard warriors on my page. And every now and then, when they hop on there and start that nonsense, I ask them exactly: You tell me who you're going. You going to shoot a cop? Are you going to shoot an elected official? Are you going to go up to some congressman and put a bullet in his head? Is that is that what your idea of a what is your idea of the civil war? And they never have answers because they just like to say, they're not going to take my gun from me. It's like, well, we'll see, number one. If they want to, they're going to take your gun from you.
0: And a lot of times when people say that, you go, who's going to take your gun from me? They never think the cops or the military. They always think some faceless Antifa person is going to do it. No, it would be (laughs) the people that you're backing the blue for right now. Right. Get out of here. Get out of here with that. So. I am, you know, my
1: page is a very active page, as you know.
0: Yeah, I like to lob little bombs on there every now and then. I I like it. I love it. I love it. Because
1: I I started the morning with a particular audience that I'm going to try to agitate against. It's funny, a a quick story. I had a woman call me who was kind of moving through the epiphany that she needed to have about Washington, D.C. and the GOP and Government and all that, and she sent me a message one day, and she said, "I'm having real trust issues with you. I I don't know her from Adam. I mean, she's just somebody (laughs) I met." And she goes, "I'm having real trust issues with you. Would you mind if we talked for a minute?" So I said, "Sure, give me a call." So we got on the phone, and and of course, I'm I'm on the phone the way you and I are talking, and kevin you and I are talking with her. You know, I'm just having this kind of diplomatic, gracious, fun conversation, and and automatically her defenses come down because on my page. I look like I'm going to tear your head off. I, I, but I do that purposely. I purposely do that to provoke a reaction. Yeah. Because if she hadn't called me, we'd have never been able to conclude some of the ideas she was struggling with. And now on her page, she's me on her page in her community. <laughs> and I love it. I watch her stuff, and it's like, oh, go get them. This is great, man. This is fantastic. This is what you need to be doing. And honestly, Cam, this is what we all need to be doing.
0: Yeah. My tact is slightly different because I am since I'm a millennial, I I respond and act with irony with satire or mockery of the system mm-hmm. because that's what people of my generation respond to.
2: Yeah. Because mm-hmm.
0: because we've seen it. The only person that I would have been like yes, I'll support that came up in the Libertarian Party this last time was Vermin Supreme. <laughs> because it's satire. Yes, it's giving a picture of what the yes. system is. Really and is, that's right? brilliant and beautiful to me. Donald Trump is more or less that in a more authoritarian way. Yeah, you know, I got you. But honestly, I just like that he trolls people. But <laughs> beyond that, like that's that's what where my because you know I will do satire. I will do you know hard statements that are that are very just mocking people or mocking Good. the system, and then yep. I'll follow it up with like some real heartfelt stuff. Like mm-hmm. Kim can tell mm-hmm. you. Every now and then, there's some topic that hits me, and I'm just like, okay, time to rant. (laughs) Yes, yes. Time to get passionate.
1: I think that's the methodology. I think we have to totally obliterate mock, ridicule, scorn. In fact, one of, I think, rule five of Volinsky's rule is to constantly and incessantly mock the status quo. I have a dear friend of mine that's a uh, professor of uh, emeritus of philosophy at every university. He and I talk about these issues all the time. And he's a brilliant scholar. And he says there's two things that must happen before there's sweeping societal change. And you see them evident in every sweeping societal change. One is anger and one is delegitimizing the existing power structure.
0: It, oh, if you can't do those two oh, things, it's my you can't thing. win. Well, and yeah. that's the thing. Like Donald Trump, I'm not a fan of most of what he's done. But looking at that man with his hair and his trolling and his fourth grade vocabulary, delegitimizing the office of the president and making people go, should this person really be sending us to war is so beautiful. Yes, it is. And it's it's not that I love Trump. It's that, oh, my God, these people are starting to see how ridiculous this structure is. Yes, that's it. That's it. So – I view my job, and I
1: do this every day in the week, seven days a week, 365 days a year, is I'm trying to either anger people or I'm trying to delegitimize the existing system. I, I don't care actually about current news events at all because they're immaterial to me because my objective is to delegitimize the existing power structure in people's minds and then anger them for being such dupes. Their whole lives of believing all this nonsense that led to this now i have taken my page from you know a couple hundred followers up to five thousand nearly five thousand facebook friends and i'm getting ready now to go and do what you guys are doing but daily agitating and insisting and delegitimizing this nonsense because i've done this study so i can mock the constitution because I actually know a great deal about how it was
0: divide, uh, uh, divide, uh, uh designed. <laughs> well, it's like you can ask Kim. My when she met me, I was Mister Constitution Boy. Uh. I was here. Or you, you need to be reading the ratification c- conventions. You need you need to be reading what they actually meant. Blah, 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 blah. And now I'm like, you need to start wiping your butt with it, and <laughs> <laughs> immediately because yes. this this thing is what led us to where we are today. And it's hard to go from those two different things. Like there is a, a point of discomfort where you go, everything I invested my time into. All of this belief into a piece of magic paper that does nothing was a waste. But then you go, no wait, I can mock it way better now. <laughs> and I can point <laughs> to the inconsistencies. I can point to where this thing screwed us. Amen. I am with you and I say to the
1: Christian... I don't care how hard it gets. If you've created an idol and you have violated the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, including an American ethos or a constitution or whatever you want to call it. If you have done that, my expectation as a fellow Christian is for you to immediately repent, change your thinking about the situation. Now, my wife and I, over the years, have been involved in marriage counseling for crisis marriage counseling for decades. And I take that same tack because by the time they've gotten into a crisis in marriage, what they need is not understanding from the Christian perspective, they need truth. They need to hear what Jesus says so that they can repent and fix their marriage. And the marriages that succeed through this process are the ones who stop as painful as it is, whether it's an adultery situation or just an abandonment or the guys allows, who knows, you guys allow know, what, what, whatever it is, the, the people that approach it that way and say, oh, my gosh, you're right. I have sinned. They're the people that fix their marriages and they become strong marriages and they're great marriages. Now, I apply this to the Christian community with the Constitution. And and it, I'm going to now give you, not, not here tonight, but to my community, I'll say, I'm going to give you a series of facts that prove without question that the Constitution was a coup. Oh, yeah. Or it was a conspiracy. That, yes, it was a conspiracy. And that really evil things happened there. And I'm going to prove to you without a shadow of doubt that that's what happened. Now, my expectation is when you take in that information, you are going to say, I was wrong in my beliefs. And if you can't, then you really have to begin to think about your Christianity. What do you, what does, who is Jesus really to you? Is he a genie and a lantern that you rub and he gives you Ooh. what you want and you know, pops out and satisfies your greatest needs? Or is he the God of the universe or is who the crawled king? on a cross right, and crawled on that cross for you? Who is he? Who is this Jesus that you claim you're following? So I raised the standard very high for them when it comes to Americanism.
2: I've uh, Sorry, I'm very ill at this moment. So there have been a lot uh, of points I want to bring up, but my head hurts. But uh, um, no. I've come from, I think my experience is similar and different to both of you guys, because like, obviously not a surprise, black, lesbian, obviously came from the Democratic side. Mm. And of course, your mindset then is that the Constitution is a living document, and it has to be because it was made by a bunch of racist people. And then I come over to becoming a libertarian, have my eyes open, and then I become a constitutional conservative, and I'm all about that wow. learning that in the originalist sense, and then finding out that it's garbage. <laughs> it was quite that was quite a uh, that was a it was really weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's like piggybacking off what you were saying when. When I found out that the American flag was an idol to me, being raised in, I, I came to the conclusion, you know, being raised as a Reagan Republican with the mom that, that cried when she heard the national anthem or yelled real loud when they said under God in the pledge, I realized it was an idol in my life. And I don't know if I should share this to the masses, because mm-hmm. i don't, I don't want to get too deep platformed, but yeah right, right when there is an idol, I remember the story of Gideon, who took the hammer to the idols at night, <laughs> and for yeah. me, hate me if you'd like, turn off the show, don't come back if it offends you that that much. But for me, as a Christian, the American flag was an idol, and so one night, in the dark, by myself, I had a little tiny American flag. And I destroyed the idol. Good. And, and fr- I've been free of that idol ever since. Isn't that cool? I mean, and, and, but that's my, exactly what I'm talking about.
1: When we – I have a saying that I've kind of lived my life on, and it's really silly and goofy and it's short. It just says, it's okay to be wrong. It's not okay to stay wrong. So that has served me well for 61 years of my life. Now, that doesn't mean that every time I figure out that I'm wrong that I'm Mr. Perfect and I don't stay wrong because I'm I'm a sinner like everybody else <laughs> I I I made grave errors. You could ask my, my kids today, they would tell you one today that I made. <laughs> um, so I don't I don't but it's a philosophy that governs my overall behavior and thinking patterns. It's okay to be wrong. Kim, right to your point. It's okay to be wrong, but when you find out you're wrong, you don't stay wrong. And the trouble is, with so many people, because of stubbornness and pride and and their own ambitions and things like that, they'll stay wrong. They'll just stay wrong. It's like, okay, well, well, in Christians, I don't have a lot of patience in a political sense because there's real consequences to this. In marriage counseling, my wife and I have done, we don't have a lot of patience for people who are just going to stay stubborn because there's a lot at stake here. There's kids. There's you know, family unity is a testimony, a witness of Christianity to to a lost world. So we are a very therapeutic country. And, and Christianity, unfortunately, excuse me, has become another kind of therapy. Yet when you read the epistles and the Apostle Paul is out there dealing with the first round of heresy, he is not holding back. I mean, he is speaking truth to them because Jesus told us, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, obviously, that has a spiritual ramification to it. But it also just is a cool principle. It's
0: just a good idea. Yeah. Truth freezes. Well, truth is a hammer. It, it totally is. I mean, sometimes it's a blanket, but most of the time, truth is a hammer. Yeah, truth breaks away the, the hard stuff. It breaks away, I mean, to use a biblical analogy, it breaks away your hard heart. Mm-hmm. It totally does. But people who think that truth isn't hard are missing the truth. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And and this is the kind of robust Christianity
1: I talk about on my page when I'm with people because I don't have a cowardly Christianity that has to find its power in a constitution and my ability to rule you. I don't – that's weak Christianity that, yeah. that sources its – its role and culture through a government structure. Really? That's the only
0: way we can advance Christianity is through the state? Please. Through religious freedom? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hardship is promised. Yes. Why are we hiding away from it and trying to turn the sword on everyone else who would threaten it? It's a sick, and
1: this is where the jingoism and the hegemony come into play in the Christian mind,
0: right? and And
1: that's sin, and you just got to reject it and say, "Well Lord, I'm sorry, I was jingoistic and I'm sorry I was hegemonic and I, I was wrong and I won't stay wrong. Now I'll be different. I'll, I'll just stop being that way. <laughs> I'll start arguing for anarchy, you know
0: I'll start aligning what I believe with my actions, you know absolutely. Well, I think. that that was a long show yeah i mean it it's 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 not short but i think it was well worth it that was a fun conversation i enjoyed it very very much i really did yeah you have any final questions or words of wisdom kim
2: uh not really sorry i wasn't very talkative i i am barely hanging in there
0: it's all right i talked i talked too much so hey kim kim do me a favor
1: since you just said you have a headache with this Please keep a close eye because that's one of the symptoms of COVID 19 is the initial headache. So if you go down quick, please don't play around with this. Um, even though you're only 37, uh, you know, as soon as I heard you say a moment ago you've got a headache, uh, please really keep an eye on this thing. You could be a, you know, we don't want you to get in trouble.
2: Oh, yeah. I definitely have to. Yeah. My mom, if I get her sick at all, she's gone. She's got cancer. So.
1: Oh, my. Yes, yes. Please get it checked out. Do you have
2: insurance, by the way? Yes, thankfully.
0: Okay, good, good, good. Okay. (laughs) That's black privilege. I don't have insurance.
1: I was going to do a fundraiser on your show if if, if not.
2: (laughs) Oh, thank you.
0: All right. Well, Mark, how would you like people to find you? What are your favorite places to point them to? So
1: I've written a book here uh, called Exit. It's it's about secession and why the Christian church needs to lead the way. And I've got a Facebook page called Exit the Book so you can connect with me there. I also have a website that I'm building out right now called lovegodwithyourmind.com. And it's where I'm making the argument about anarchy is a natural position for Christians. We should naturally be anarchists. And then I, over on Facebook, it's Mark Reslins on Facebook, uh, Facebook slash Mark Reslins, and and we can connect there. So
0: awesome. And if you want to find Kim, you know where to find her. Just type Lesbertarian anywhere. I will. I will. And and you'll find her Twitter, Instagram, email. If you want to find me, type in this is MLGA just on any platform, except for Parler because I'm not ready for that. Me neither. I have no interest.
2: I'm not doing that.
0: Can I ask you a question about that real quick since you're a tech guy? Have you read the... uh, um, The TOS? uh, Yeah, yeah, Terms of Service. I haven't read it, but I did did see a snippet where it said that in order to send direct messages, you have to send them a state ID. No. And that I have about 0% interest in that, so I'm going to... Hard pass on that. Yeah.
1: Huffington Post wrote yesterday that apparently you can also be subject to lawsuits by agreeing to their uh, terms of service. So um, it was in a Huffington Post article. So I stayed away from it, too. I didn't know about the state ID. It's like, well, no, I'm for sure staying away.
0: Yeah, I I just I'm tired of uh, responses to Twitter and Facebook that aren't actually close to doing the same thing. So I, I just, yeah. I have no interest until I make it myself with Ryan. <laughs>
1: good, good.
0: Please do. Thank you so much for coming on oh, thank and you. talking to me. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, sorry that you feel bad, Kim. Go drink like a bunch of water for me <laughs> and get better because tomorrow we, we have to talk to someone else. Oh my. That is
2: true. That's okay. I will sleep until like two hours before.
0: Sweet. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, as always, stay sane.